Titus chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is The Truth About the Lie. Well, we had a good time in Sunday school this morning. Someone commented online that was watching. She said, you make it easy to understand. That's what we want. We want people to be able to understand. It's no good if you don't understand it. The truth about the lie. Last week, we learned that we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. Not the bad fight, though, right? We can fight the good fight, not the bad fight. We learned that there's some things that we should affirm in the church. There's other things we should avoid in the church. And and uh, especially the non-biblical religiosity. Uh, and in verse 9, Paul said, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. The reason Paul had to address these matters was because carnal religious people love to debate and they love to divide over carnal religious things. And many, if not most, of our denominations that we have out here, uh, we have a lot of different denominations. They started over contention within the church. Many of our local churches, even in the same denomination, many of our local churches started over contention in the local church. When I grew up, the church I attended used to have an old neon street sign outside, bore the same name as our church, Central Baptist Church. Old neon street sign that sat on a pole near the street. And I wasn't around when that sign first appeared. Or if I was, I was too young to remember it. But I was told that there was a contention over whether or not to purchase that street sign. I've got that right, don't I? Yeah, that's what I was told. And after the majority voted and decided to purchase that sign, I was told the church split over an argument over that church sign. And now there's two Baptist churches in that town that are relics of that old fight over a church sign. But contentions within the church are not always trivial matters like that. Signs a trivial matter. Paint on the walls a trivial matter. But oftentimes, contentions in the church are over very serious doctrines. Doctrines that determine whether or not a person will inherit eternal life or if they'll inherit eternal death. Contentions among professing churches have led to genuine Bible-believing Christians being murdered by wicked men who also profess to be Bible-believing Christians. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself was murdered by professing Bible believers. And so were many of our apostles and prophets. So religious contention is not always over trivial matters. I told you last week about the people within the Mormon denomination who profess to be Christians, but they believe they have to perform rituals for their dead ancestors for them to be released from a spiritual prison. That's not a trivial matter. Anybody who believes that a dead believer in Jesus Christ will remain in a spiritual prison unless some living descendant performs some ritual in their name does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And anybody who believes that a dead unbeliever in Jesus Christ can be, or outside of Jesus Christ, can be saved after they die because of some ritual that some living person performs, they also don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're equally lost. And beliefs like these divide the Mormon church from the true church of God. False teachings like this, they divide the sheep from the goats. They separate the false gospel from the true gospel. And the false church from the true church. And the true Christian from the hypocrite. Now these false teachings, the divisions they cause, they're called heresies. H-E-R-E-S-Y, if you're taking notes, heresies, or a heresy, plural, uh, is heresies. And I'm sure you've heard of heresies before. And to make things clear, a heresy, at least the kind that, that we're talking about today here, the kind the Apostle Paul is talking about today, it's not a division over whether or not women need to wear a hair bonnet when they pray, as some believe. Because whether or not a woman wears a hair bonnet has nothing to do with whether or not they're truly a Christian. The heresies we're talking about today, the heresies the Apostle Paul is addressing here in his word today, are about those which separate men from the true gospel, thus they separate them from the true church, thus they separate them from Christ and life and all that's good. A heresy is a major false teaching. And a person who embraces a heresy is a heretic. H-E-R-E-T-I-C, heretic. Just to make sure it's not a kind of ticks we have in East Texas. But it's a heretic. So heresy and a heretic embraces the heresy. And Paul said, look now in verse 10, and you're going to see it spelled a little differently from the old King James, but we don't spell that way today. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Now that's so countercultural for us today, isn't it? The, the, the type of churches that we have today that are come one, come all. We want everybody welcome in the church. Not everybody's welcome here. This is still private property. We still have someone to leave if we want to. I have before. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to be that way. We want everyone that wants to come learn, we want them to come learn. Everyone that wants to come worship, we want them to come worship. But Paul here says, the church also has a job to do. And the job is not always an outstretched hand bidding all to come. Sometimes it's a hand like this bidding people to go and rejecting those people. And specifically, a person who is a heretic after the second and third, or, or excuse me, after the first and second admonition. See, our union with God. Because we're all united together here as a body of believers. And our union with God is brought about by our belief in the truth of God's Son. That's the only thing that unites us to God. It's the only thing that unites us to one another. Our union with one another is brought about by our mutual belief and union with God's Son. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 22, it says we are, quote, 
built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom that is in Christ all the building, we're the building now, we're the lumber, we're the timbers, we're the nails, all the building fitly framed together, it says, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Fitly framed together. It says, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so our, our common faith in Christ, it fitly frames us together as believers. But a heretic does not share our common faith. Therefore, he does not share our common bond. He is not fitly framed together with us by the gospel truth that he believes. Rather, he is divided from us by the heresy that he's embraced. Okay? As a church, the last thing we want is for another person to die without Christ and go to hell. It's our job as a church to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the true gospel, to every creature. So naturally, it is our job to inform people the error that they believe. If someone embraces a heresy and we recognize that heresy, we realize that heresy is going to keep them from knowing God. That heresy is going to send them to the lake of fire. So it's our job to inform them of that error that they might repent of it and accept the truth of God's Word and be a believer. Nobody is born believing the truth. Everybody is in darkness before they hear the gospel. We are all born separated from God. So a heretic is no more separated from God than any of us once were. Nevertheless, in spite of the job we have to preach the truth and to correct the lies, we have to accept the fact that some people will never receive the gospel. They're never going to accept the truth. Why? They're like the devil. Like the devil, some people reject the truth because they reject God's authority over their lives. It's just as simple as that. It's common for people to come to church who believe false teachings. Very common. And we can't reach unbelievers unless we teach unbelievers. And we can't teach unbelievers unless they come and hear us teach it, right? Whether next door in the Genesis of Jesus or whether they slip in here and they, they listen over a period of months or years or however long it is. Or whether we're talking to them one-on-one outside uh, the church assembly. So we have to let them come and we have to let them hear so they can believe. But what if someone starts coming to church? Let's just do a supposition here. They start coming to church and they reject the teachings of our church. What if someone were to go up to one of our church members, they would go up to Brother Larry Colvin. Someone goes up to Brother Larry Colvin one day and they say, You know, Larry, uh, I, I feel like I'm at home when I come to this church. I really do. It just feels like home when I step in here. I've heard so many people say that they never come back. And that's true. The more they brag on the church, the less I think I'll ever see them again, you know. But they say, you know, Brother Larry, I, I really feel like I'm, I'm at home here. I, I, I like everybody here. And, but what y'all say about salvation, what that preacher says about salvation, it's, it's entirely wrong. 
I just want you to know that. A, a person has to do good works to go to heaven. And they have to do good works to stay saved or they're going to lose their salvation. And, and Larry, if you don't live good enough, you, you and uh, your wife don't live good enough, you're going to lose your salvation. And don't forget, you have to be baptized too. Well, you're going to go to hell. Well, now let's say Brother Larry comes to me and he says, Hey, uh, this, this person over here came up and told me all this right here. I thought you need to know about it. Well, when that came, comes to my attention... The first thing that I, by God's grace, would need to do is spend some time, pull that person off the side that talked to Brother Larry, spend some time with that person, and show them in God's Word where they're wrong. Show them what the truth is and what the Bible says a person must do to be saved. I'd be wrong if I didn't do that. I would want to run them, uh, if possible, run them through the Genesis to Jesus class and, and teach them the truth. And when I did that, that would be their first admonition. You see? Their first admonition. But what if after I did that, whether they go through the class or I pull them off the side, we have a, you know, a, a long talk in, in my office or something. After I did that, the person still started telling people in the church that we're wrong in what we believe. And that you still must work your way to heaven or you're not going to make it there. What would I do again? Well, then I'd have to pull that person off the side again. Maybe me and Brother Andy this time or something. Pull them off the side and say, listen. What are we missing here? You know, where do we go wrong? You know, let's make sure that you understand everything we're saying. And let's look at the scriptures again. And, and, and let's talk this thing through. I would need to do that to make sure that I gave him all the clarity, her all the clarity that I could about the gospel and answer their questions. And when I did, that would be their second admonition. And after, after all that, that person still rejected God's word and insisted that a person must work to be saved or a person must do some ritual for a dead ancestor like some guy that came here a while back believed Jesus was offering animal sacrifices for us and stuff. Weird stuff. Heresies. Whatever belief it was that denied the true gospel of Jesus Christ, if they were still a heretic after the first and second admonition, then what should I do? Paul says, reject the heretic that rejects the Savior. We as a church would have to reject the heretic that rejected Jesus. Brother Richard, would you ask that person to leave? I sure would. In fact, I'd insist on it. If they said no... We'll show them the door. I sick Brother Shepherd on them. I like Brother Shepherd. Brother Shepherd told me a long time ago. He said, "If you ever have anything that you know you you think would distract you, and maybe some of your dirty work, and you, you don't want to get distracted by by it or, or, or cause hurt feelings, you just hand that job to me, and I'll associate pastor it to death." It's wonderful, wonderful. If I was in the mob, I'd name him Guido. He'd break your legs. Of course we wouldn't do that to somebody around here. But, but you better believe we would ask them to leave. Why? I love the soul. But you know what I love too? I love you. I love the believers. And I don't want that heretic spreading his heresy around. Because next thing you know, someone said, well, you know, he, he said somewhere that made, they made a lot of sense and now I'm confused. I don't want that confusion here. 
I've got to protect the people here. I don't want our church to become a platform for him to be spreading his false teaching, which would actually be what it is if he's going around. This would become his platform. No, this is the platform. That's not the platform. That's not the way to do it. Paul says, reject that heretic. Look in verse 11, please. Knowing that he that is such is subverted. Underscore the word subverted. Let's picture a railroad track here. There's a train coming down the road and there's a railroad track right here. Now let's picture that Brother Shepherd, because he's the only one strong enough that can do this. He grabs those rails on that railroad track and he goes, he bends them in this direction here. Now the train comes comes down the track, and because the rails have been twisted out of the way, the train goes the opposite, the, the wrong direction, you see? That's what the word subverted means. It literally means to twist something out of the way. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, if you take someone and you show them the truth, and they reject it, you go back to them patiently again. You show them the truth, and they reject it. And they still are going the wrong direction. He says, here's the reason. It's not because they're just mistaken. It's not because they're ignorant. They can't be ignorant. You've already given the truth to them. It's because the devil has taken the tracks and twisted them out of the way. And they have gone on the tracks the devil has laid out. They are the ones that have gone the wrong direction. They're subverted. They've made the choice to follow the wrong tracks away from God and His truth. Jesus assured us that His sheep hear His voice. He said, my sheep know my voice, right? They'll hear, He says. He says, so a person who who hears the truth of God's Word after a thorough uh, explanation of the gospel... And that person hearing it says, nope, I don't want that. Nope, I don't accept that. They're not hearing Jesus' voice. Therefore, they're not Jesus' sheep. They've been subverted. Not once, but twice the clear admonition of God's word by the church. That person has been subverted. The devil, with his dirty lies, has twisted that person and turned them from the truth where they belong. He subverted, Paul said, look back at your text, and sinneth. So underscore the word subverted. Now underscore the word sinneth. Again, some good doctrine here now. Here's what I want you to see. The devil subverted. If you're taking notes, the devil subverted. He is subverted. That means someone did that to him. And here's the next thing. He is, he is subverted. He is, is a being verb. We've looked at this in the past, haven't we? He is subverted. That means someone subverted him and sinneth. Now, the devil subverted, but the person sinned. See the difference? 
This is very important. The devil subverted, but the person sinned. The book of Hebrews. And there are so many people who get so uh, messed up with this. In fact, it's not in my notes. I apologize, Brother Rick, but it's on the spur of the moment kind of thing here. I'm thinking about turning there and reading it to them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Now, if you're at home and you're watching, I know you enjoy the scriptures popping up there, but it won't hurt you to take your Bible and open it too. All right? So Hebrews 10, 26. We're all doing it here. You can do it there. Get some biblical calluses. Get some holy calluses on your finger. Turn those pages. All right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. This really... Um, Confuses people a lot. So when he says he is subverted and sinneth, he's talking about a specific sin. The track got twisted and they made the decision to follow the twisted track. You see what's happening here? The person's not a victim. He didn't say he subverted and has become a victim. He subverted, he was subverted and he sinned. See? The track was twisted, just like the devil, when the devil met with our parents in the Garden of Eden, the devil said, hey, eat from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over there. You'll be like God then if you'll do that. What was the devil doing? He is twisting the track. What did Eve do? She sinned. She took the fruit and she ate thereof. So she was subverted, but she sinned. You see? The devil subverted the woman and the man sinned. That was a specific sin. Now here, the man, the, the heretic is subverted, but the heretic sinned. And the sin was taking the twisted track. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, the Bible says, Now, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth therefore no sacrifice for sins. And so that's the same sin here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that Paul's addressing here in the book of Titus chapter 3. Same sin. The sin of subversion. The sin of going out of the way, departing from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So in Hebrews, the person was subverted, but the person knowingly, having heard the knowledge of the truth, took the wrong track anyway. They heard the gospel. They took the wrong track away from the gospel. They were subverted, but they sinned. They were heretics. The track twisted and divided, separated them, that division of heresy from the truth. So don't look at Hebrews 10 and get all confused with that. Because we have the same language here. He subverted and he sins. It's not just any kind of sin. He didn't say a dirty word. It's not just any sin. It's the sin of subversion. The sin of uh, apostasy, departing from the faith. The devil told the lie, but the person rejected the truth. You see how that lays out like that? I'm so glad the Lord distinguished between these two for us. The devil subverted the person's sin. Here's a kingdom truth for you. You can never blame God for the devil's subversion. And you can never blame the devil for the person's sin. And we'll say that again. You can never blame God for the devil's subversion. You can't blame God for the devil twisting the track. 
And you can never blame the devil for the person taking that twisted road. Say, Brother Richard, if it wasn't for the devil, the person would have never believed the lie. Because a lie would have never been told. That's true. If it wasn't for the devil, the person would have never believed the lie. But if it wasn't for the person, God's truth would have never been rejected. The only reason they could take the twisted track was because they rejected the straight one ahead of them. You see? The only way they could take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because they rejected the tree of life. That's what it's all about. If it wasn't for the person, God's truth would have never been rejected. Mark this down. People aren't condemned for the lies they believe. Brother Richard, that can't be true. No, it is true. People are not condemned for the lies they believe. I've never found that in Scripture. They are condemned for the truth they rejected. See the difference? John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He that believeth on him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not Jesus is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the Son, of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world... And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So he says, he's condemned already because not believed a lie. He's condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And if he did believe in the name of the only begotten Son, he wouldn't believe any lies told about him. My security is not based on whether or not the devil can convince me of a lie. My security is based on the fact that God has convinced me of the truth and I've accepted it. So you can't blame God for the devil's subversion and you can't blame the devil for the person's sin. The devil told a lie and the church told the truth. The heretic would have rejected the truth whether or not the devil was there. The lie was just the means by which the rebellion that was already in that man's heart was revealed. You see? The rejection was already there. Now, now think about it. Think about it. The devil is the one that twists the track. He's the one that started this whole thing to begin with. The rebellion up in heaven. When the devil was in heaven, before the rebellion, there was already sin in his heart. And he was about to rebel. It just hadn't been manifested yet. He rejected God's truth. The truth he knew. But he rejected. He turned against God. And he drew a third of the angels with him in a rebellion. Whose lie did the devil believe to do that? 
Huh? What do you say? Yeah, yeah. But there was no one there to tell him a lie. Everything in heaven was the truth. No one came to the devil and said, Hey, are you really going to follow God over here? No one tempted the devil. But as Brother Larry said, his own evil heart. His own selfish ambitions. So the devil rejected the truth even though a lie was not there. A person in the same way will reject the truth whether or not there's a lie. All the lie does is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does. It just gives a venue for the rebellion to be manifested. That's all it is. That's the truth about the lie. And with that, we'll go ahead and close. I'm so thankful that we have a Bible that tells it like it is. So don't look at any of your lost loved ones. You listening to me? Nobody is more deceptive than the devil. Don't look at any of your lost loved ones and blame their sin on somebody else. If you've got a lost loved one that rejects the truth of God, don't say, well, their professor did it. Well, their uncle did it. Well, the movies they used to, they, they used to watch did it. PBS did it. All the secular stuff did it. No. They're not condemned because they believe the lie. They're condemned because they reject the truth. The lie was just a means by which the rebellion was uncovered. Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word. God, we pray for those who seem so far out of reach. And we are so grateful, God, that people like the man in the tombs that dwelt among the tombs and cut himself and was naked and possessed with many devils, we're so grateful, God, that your grace can reach that far away. The Bible says we are those who at one time were far off and are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Help us, Lord, to always believe in the long reach of your loving grace. But help us to never blame the sin on the subversion. Help us, Father God, to never blame you or anyone else for rejecting your truth. As the scripture says, as you told Cain, sin lies at the door. When all is said and done, it's at the doorstep of those who reject your word. We pray for them. We'll pray we'll be gracious to extend the hand and welcome them to hear. But be faithful, Father God, to reject those who knowingly reject you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.